And we're joined now by Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com. Good morning, Shehan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks as always. Appreciate your time today. All right. Uh, we just heard the report about the NIL. Can you put that into English and make us all understand what, what's going on with, with the NIL right now? Of course, or at least I'll do my best. So <laughs> I think that the biggest thing to take away from all of this is that, one, the NCAA is not going to try to get into the weeds with this. That They don't really know exactly how to do it. They don't know exactly how to regulate it. Uh, but I think that they feel like the one thing that they might have some leeway over is sort of this very explicit inducement pay-for-play from boosters. Uh, you know, obviously we've seen collectives popping up around the country. Uh, in my story yesterday for CBS Sports, I did mention specifically sort of that the uh, the horns for uh, the heart. I, I don't know horns for hearts. I think uh, uh, offensive line kind of based charity that they've done, where they're basically like we're going to give every single Texas offensive lineman fifty thousand dollars at least, and that seems like a pretty obvious inducement, and it's obviously you know something very tied to the school and very tied to. You know, a certain position group, it looks pretty sketchy. So I, I think that that's the sort of thing that they're going to be looking to crack down on uh, is really when they're getting boosters involved in such a formal way in this world. You know, co uh, collectives have obviously started popping up to try to sign kids to contracts, to try to funnel money to players from boosters. I, I think that that's really where we're going to see the cracking down. But the thing that I'll say, too, is that they're going to say this and they're going to set these rules forth. But this isn't going to be tested until the NCAA finally does try to crack down on the program. Now, I, I think that you look at Texas, you look at Miami, you look at Tennessee, uh, and obviously, you know, the, the usual suspects, Texas a and Alabama, Ohio State, all of those sort of schools too. You know, it'll be interesting to see where the NCAA goes first because I think that how they handle their first investigation and how they handle their first punishments into a player uh, or a program or a booster or, or whoever is going to ultimately determine kind of the direction of how this goes. So if they come out and, you know, they, they go and try to go after sort of small potatoes, I think it's really going to make bigger programs feel like they can just kind of ignore some of these rules. So if, 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 if there's going to be true regulation, do you think it's going to come from Congress? That's where everybody seems to want it to come from right now. We saw last week that, uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov did go to try to campaign people in the Senate uh, to try to pass new NIL rules. But in a lot of ways, right, I, I mean, when we look at this, a big part of this feels like it's the NCAA shirking responsibility and not setting their own rules. Now, part of it is because, you know, if you're the NCAA, maybe you don't think that these rules will be followed if you're the one who follows them or uh, who sets them, as opposed to, obviously, if it's if it's legal, right? I mean, if this is a, a law from Congress, that's not something that you can just ignore necessarily. That's a lot more authority than just, you know, Mark Emmert and his friends up in Indianapolis. So I, I think that ultimately that is what they want because they want the extra authority that comes with it. But uh, to, to say the least, I think that, that Congress has a lot going on. I don't know whether that's going to be something that happens in the next couple of months, much less the next year or anything like that. So Ultimately, you know, maybe someday we do get a national NIL legislation, but more likely we're just going to kind of keep going along with this uh, until the NCAA kind of finally puts its foot down and, and decides how it wants to legislate all of it. How do they put the genie back in the bottle, though? I mean, it seems like this is a lost cause and kind of just a not even really a Band-Aid. It's just, hey, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on this, but 
enforcing it may not be really liable. Yeah, it's funny. Looking back, I mean, I think that we all knew that when the NCAA only put out an interim policy basically saying we're going to be hands-off the day before basically every NIL law went to an, into effect, this was predictable. <laughs> it was predictable that we were going to end up at this point where, you know, it's kind of a little bit, as people described it, you know, as the Wild West sort of thing, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what the NCAA brought upon itself with its kind of total lack of action and total lack of leadership. And so I, I think that the NCAA really did paint itself into a corner here, which is why they're going to, you know, to Congress, why they are going to the Senate. And, uh, you know, because that's one body that has the ability to have that kind of, I guess, you know, big picture authority to be able to enforce some of this stuff in a way that the NCAA just can't. Now, one thing that Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith kind of mentioned last week is, hey, you know, maybe we're getting into a situation where the sort of big-time college football, especially the Power Five, maybe the FBS, maybe it just needs to regulate itself. Maybe sort of the college football playoff, that sort of entity, needs to be the entity running college football more than the NCAA, and they need to make their own rules, et cetera, et cetera. And again, all of this is is sort of uh, existential to the existence of the NCAA as an institution and uh, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, look, I think at this point, if if the NCAA can't make rules involving money, a lot of people are going to start asking why the NCAA exists. So I think that, you know, when you ask, can you put the genie back in the bottle? Not completely, I don't think, but what happens next is really going to define, I think, whether the NCAA continues to exist uh, in, in its current form heading forward. I know I saw, I was I believe I remember if it was uh, Ross Dellinger or who it was. They were talking about people are using this as an opportunity to create nonprofit tax-free uh, loopholes regarding the NIL and feeding the kids this money. How does that operate? Yeah, and and I think that that's something that's going to be real interesting to see in the next year or two when some of the stuff gets audited and when some of the stuff uh, you know when people do try to write off some of this money because you know something that people might might know and might not know is that when you donate to uh, your college athletics program that's typically tax deductible right so i mean when when a when a super rich guy comes and says we want to build the foster pavilion they're able to write a lot of that money off on their taxes and so it's to me personally kind of a strange way to to handle something that's entertainment but uh you know that's it's tied to colleges and universities and all that and so one thing that we're seeing is that you know i mentioned that horns with hearts uh sort of charity type endeavor that they say that they're doing, you know, they're trying to, to kind of make the argument right now that they're a charity and that even though it's basically explicitly just there to funnel money to, to players, they're saying, well, they'll, they'll have to make charity appearances. They'll have to, you know, do charitable endeavors. And therefore it's a charity, which I don't know if that's going to pass most. I, I don't imagine that the IRS is going to look very fondly on that. And so I do wonder, you know, when, People start trying to donate to that and then write it off on their taxes, whether that's something that's going to be uh, something that holds up. Because, you know, ultimately, I think I, I think that there's a lot of ways that money is funneled into college football that, that also shirks taxes that I'm not particularly happy with. But I think that something like that is so egregious that I don't know whether it's going to stand up long term. Jayhan, as a person who is involved with college football on a daily basis, I, w- I want to take you back. Would you personally be in favor of the CFP being the governing body of college football? And if so, does that, in your opinion, mark the end 
of the NCAA as we know it today? So the one thing that you say about the NCAA as we know it today is that they'll still run college basketball, they'll still run all the other sports, but uh, but obviously I think that not having any role in football, which is where – you know what the way things are set up that's where the money is right now i think it fundamentally changes the structure of that institution um you know i i'd be curious right i i mean i understand the logic of uh of sort of having this sort of separate structure and we've seen this before right i mean the bcs basically ran college football in some ways obviously you know when you're talking about creating a champion the college football playoff runs that's I, I would say that I'm not opposed to the idea of having a separate structure because I think that we can all be realistic about this, right? I mean, college football is not the same as any other sport. It's not treated the same. It's not governed the same. Uh, and I think that it's realistic to say that maybe there are some areas where it needs specific rules relative to the rest of the NCAA. So I, I would say that I'm not opposed to exploring it. But the thing for me that I'm curious about is, you know, I don't want us to end up in a position where – you know, when we say the CFP, who is it really, right? I mean, is, is it going to be sort of these 8, 10, 12 schools at the top that kind of run everything? Is it going to be uh, something that sort of diminishes the bottom of the sport? I, I don't want us to be in a position where, uh, where you know, the, the playoff is sort of the thing that runs it. And so, therefore, the playoff is the only thing that matters, that it's the only thing that uh, that sort of this given priority in the college football world. I, I want college football to be a national sport. I want it to be a sport with many different levels. So I, I would say that I'm a little split on the topic, but I certainly would be willing to listen. If it did lean toward that, I mean, what help happens to the other divisions, NCAA Division II, NCAA Division Three? Are they also going to be governed by the CFP? And, and if that does happen, you know, Again, when we talked about NIL, we a lot of people said, look, this is not going to be good for college football because the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer, and that's exactly what's going on right now. If that happens, or is, you know, the, is the college football landscape going to be turned into pay-for-play and it's now we don't need the USFL or any of these other leagues because this is our minor leagues for the NFL? as far as the upper salon of college football? Sure. Well, I, I think that, you know, just to touch on that last point for a second, the reason that we don't have a, a minor league for the NFL is because I think college has historically always served that role. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll see whether the USFL or the XFL or any of these sort of leagues stick around. I, I think that they serve a different purpose than uh, than college football, even if college football does pay more. I mean, because you can, you can only – spend four years in college football, right? I mean, or you can only play at least four years in college football. So I think that, I think that there's still going to be a role for this, but, but for all intents and purposes, college football has always been, I, I think the minor leagues for, for the NFL, but uh, you know, you, you mentioned the NCAA in relation to other, uh, to other levels of football. So I would imagine that if this happens, this is something that affects only the FBS, uh, that, that this is, you know, the FBS kind of breaking off, uh, because you look at it right now, that the NCAA runs the FCS National Championship, Division Two, II, Division Three. I don't think that would change. I, I think that that would be sort of the delineation. And so, you know, if you talk about something like pay-for-play, right, like I think that it's the, the, the fact of the CFP or whatever top group may be breaking off, uh, that gives you some leeway to be able to allow pay-for-play at that level 
without having to allow it in Division Two, without having to allow it in Division Three. Now, obviously, I think for a number of reasons, you know, you wouldn't expect that taper play would happen at Division Two or Division Three or even the FBS level with much regularity compared to the FBS level, but. I think that it would sort of, uh, you know, again, it would set apart that if you were playing FBS football, that's just a whole nother level. You know, and I look at what Sam Houston just did. Sam Houston, you know, when they joined the WAC, there was some talk that uh, that potentially, you know, with the WAC, that maybe long-term some of these schools might look to move up. But when they had an opportunity to jump into what has kind of been a gutted Conference USA, they still did it for the opportunity to guarantee themselves a spot at the FBS level. I, I do think that some schools, are thinking that this might be coming, that uh, that there might be this break, that there might be uh, sort of these two completely different worlds of college football. And maybe if you're a school at the FCS level, moving up to FCS might not be accessible after a couple of years. Uh, you know, so I do think that that if this happens, it's going to be very FCS specific. But I'd be even more curious, does it become Power 5 specific? Does it become even more specific than that? I, I think that's an existential question that we haven't even gotten to. Shayon, yesterday the NCAA Oversight Committee announced that they were looking at scratching conference championship uh, championship games. If that happens, what does that do regarding like divisions, especially say Texas Oklahoma when they move over to the SEC? Does that blow up like having a SEC East and West like they do now? And what does that do regarding scheduling going forward as well? Yeah, so that that's probably the biggest thing that that taken into account is the destruction of divisions and when you're moving to a 16 team conference like the sec is going to be i i mean the reality is that doesn't make any sense i mean you can't even hardly play uh you know a full division schedule much less ever play anybody cross division with the way that things would be set up that way so i i think that's the biggest motivation is just to get rid of divisions because the other thing too is that it doesn't mandate that you get rid of a, a conference championship game so like the big 12 could continue to have one uh, you know, kind of like they do now where the number one and number two teams go and play against each other. It just gives them a lot more flexibility when it does come to deciding how they want to do it. You know, they can put teams into a conference championship game whichever way that they want to. And something that we've heard about a lot, especially at the SEC, is, is something like pod scheduling, where you have maybe three common opponents that you play every single year, and then the rest of the schedule really is able to rotate a whole lot. So I think that that's sort of the direction that we'd be moving, is moving away from divisions. We've seen, uh, you know, we got some reporting earlier this week that maybe the ACC in the next couple of years could be looking to do that if this legislation does pass. Um, and, and I think that more than anything else, it just gives conferences a lot more flexibility to determine, one, do we want to have a conference championship game? Two, uh, you know, do we want to have divisions, which I think that most conferences at this point don't want divisions, especially I think after – I think realistically after seeing what the Big 12 has done with round-robin scheduling, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of conferences look pretty fondly on that. Uh, but then three also, like you kind of said, I mean, putting together – schedules I think it's just going to end up being a little bit different and it gives them the most flexibility to be able to do that if you do get rid of this uh, kind of situation right now where you're mandated to have divisions in a conference championship game. Jayhan, uh, Gary Bohannon let's talk a little bit about Bohannon he's headed to South Florida were you surprised by how fast this all came together? I wasn't 
especially surprised with how fast it came together because, I mean, to be real, Gary Bohannon was the best quarterback in the in the portal, and it was not particularly close. I mean, somebody who, who obviously won 10 games as a starter last year, won the Sugar Bowl, uh, was quarterback of a 12-2 and Big 12 championship team. So I knew that there would be interest. I was a little surprised to see how quickly this came together with South Florida. You know, I, I thought that maybe – Arizona State, before uh, they picked up Emory Jones, might make some sense. Obviously, I think that there were reports that he was going and visiting Missouri, and, and Missouri's in desperate need of a quarterback. But I really like this fit in some ways. You know, South Florida, heading into year three under Jeff Scott, really, really is desperate for results. Uh, they've been miserable the, the first two years under Jeff Scott. And I, I think that having somebody who who can bring that level of quarterback play into the American Athletic Conference, somebody who can be a dual-threat passer but also uh, in, you know, kind of go downfield. And really, when you look at the situation, I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't start, which has to be an attractive situation to hit, right? I mean, if, if you go to Missouri, if you go to Arizona State, you're competing for the starting job. I think that this is relatively close to being a guarantee to start. So I, I think that this makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, again, big year three for Jeff Scott's program. Uh, but they brought in one of the top 25 transfer classes in the country, one of the best group of five transfer classes in the country behind, I believe it's like SMU and, and UCF, and that might be it. So I, I think that they're a program that's poised to take that next step. And, and certainly if you know Gary Bohannon and, and what he's been to Baylor in terms of an off-the-field presence, I think that he is the exact type of person that you want in your building if you're Jeff Scott and you're still trying to put together a rebuild. You know, you're, you're talking about somebody who has seen it all, who, you know, did was at Baylor through a 2-7 and seven season and took them to a Big 12 championship. So, I mean, that's the kind of person that I think that you want in the room if you're a football coach, and I think that he's going to be a huge benefit to that program. You mentioned SMU there. What's going on with the ponies? They seem like they got a nice little pipeline down to Austin. You got three three horns on your on your roster now. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the the part about transfer portal and NIL that people don't talk about enough, and that's if uh, you know if Texas is adding all these extra players and giving up on all these receivers, they're going somewhere else. And uh, and SMU, you know, I think that uh, you know maybe this is too simplistic, but I mean, when Shane Bouchelle goes there and has just a tremendous career for SMU and then has a chance to go play in the NFL for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that any prospect in the country who who goes and plays at Texas has to look at SMU as an opportunity to, to go and raise your stock. I mean, even even I think you look at Reggie Roberson, you look at Danny Gray, these are guys who started at other schools and, and turned into great uh, guys at the, uh, you know, who have a chance to play in the NFL at receivers. So, I think that uh, that you look at that, and then you also look at, you know, if you're an offensive player at their offense, they're one of these programs in the state that I think really is dynamic. They've been aggressive in the transfer portal. They've sold themselves at this point for like five years as being the, the program that you jump back to if you're from the city of Dallas or from the area. And I, I think that they're making a great pitch. Uh, they, they're a very well-run program. They've got, you know, great facilities. I think that they have a, a, a awesome opportunity to be the beneficiary of some of these bounce backs as as programs like texas and even as texas a&m kind of uh, overfill their classes Shay han uh it, it may be may but man there is a lot of football news going on what are you uh what are you working on for cbssports.com yeah well today i have a piece going up on sort of dark horse playoff teams uh you know i, I pick a team from each conference who maybe has a chance to uh to, to crash the field. And I also, you know, after the Kentucky Derby this week, I, I wanted to find some teams that had like 80 to one odds, like the horse <laughs> that Juan did. 
so so I did have a section at the bottom where I pulled a couple of teams who had either 80 to one or worse odds to, to, to make the college football playoff field. So, uh, you know, we, we get some interesting names in there, right? Like, I mean, I, I tried to cut it down for dark horse teams. I, I wanted it to be worse than 50 to one odds. So I think that I get pretty creative in there. So I, I think it's a pretty fun read. So that's, uh, that's coming today, huh? Yes. Yes. That'll be out this morning. All right. Perfect. I appreciate your time as always, Shehan. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Shehan J. Araja from CBS Sports Tech.